We have just finished singing a great hymn of the faith, one that's a favorite to so many of you. And it really reflects the attitude that we need to have as we go through life. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. At the conclusion of this hymn, there's really a prayer that's being sung. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand, one by one the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. What is it that each one of us really had? The reality is the only thing we can be certain of is the moment. And yet far too often, it's the moments that are squandered. It's the moments that are not appreciated. It's the moments that uh, we look back on with regret that we didn't take advantage of. When we think about a moment, the important thing for us to understand as we have wisdom and direction from God's Word is we need to make the moments count. When Webster tried to define a moment, he said it's an indefinite, short space of time, an instant, the present, or current brief space of time, the precise instant or opportunity. In other words, what you and I have right now is this moment. There are many individuals who have made memorable statements about the idea of a moment. Let me just read some of them without acknowledging their source. Life is a succession of moments. To live each one is to succeed. Every moment is a paradox of now or never. We never remember days, only moments. At the end, one does not remember life as a whole, but as just a string of moments. What I need to recognize is the moment that I have now will be gone forever. And I need to understand how God desires for me to live this moment, that it might be for my best good. We find that truth conveyed to us in the book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon as one of the books of wisdom, and in particular, it deals with one of the most important issues that any one of us will ever face. And that is, how do we find meaning, purpose, fulfillment, and satisfaction in life? The great theme in the book of Ecclesiastes provides us with an understanding that it is only a God-centered life that provides true satisfaction, true happiness, true fulfillment. And as Solomon develops this idea in chapters 1 through 6, he exposes the emptiness of all earthly pursuits where God is left out. In other words, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And what Solomon is saying is, 
that if you're living just for temporal purposes and satisfaction, you're going to be disappointed. The real meaning and purpose in life is found when one builds his or her life upon the foundation of God. After developing the idea in chapters 1 through 6 that temporal pursuits, although they might be exciting in a moment, will always leave you empty and unfulfilled, in chapters 7 through 12, he develops the wisdom to live wisely in this world with a focus and a foundation upon the Lord. And in this section before us, in chapter uh, 9, Solomon says, what you and I need to recognize is that God is the one who's given us this moment. And God is the one who has given us the gifts that we have this moment. And therefore, there is an appropriate response to them. Beginning in verse 7, we read, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white at all times, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and your, in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Moreover, your, whatever your hand finds to do, verily do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. And I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now we've looked at this refrain, which basically makes up verses 7 through 9 previously. And we recognize that the go then is based on the reality that you and I face in life. In other words, Solomon says, you nor I have any clue as to what may happen in the future, in the next moment, anything awaits us. And the certainty that we have is we know that we have a destination with death in the grave. We don't know when it'll occur, but it will take place. And so then, go then, says Solomon. Here's how you should handle the moment and what you should do. Basically, as we look at this, one individual has said, although life is filled with disappointments, make the most of the blessings God gives to you each day. If we think about the ideas that we've already looked at in verses 7 through 9, we could summarize them by saying, the first thing that is to be true of us is that we are to be individuals with a recognition that who we are, what we have, and what is taking place has all come from the hand of God. And therefore, we should humbly have a dependence on, and an acknowledgement of Him. And as we do so, 
we should be characterized by genuine thanksgiving. When we think about one of the greatest of all sins, as Paul exposes it in Romans chapter 1, it's the recognition that human beings, although they know Him as God, they did not honor Him as God, nor were they thankful. The recognition is that God's people in a humble dependence upon the Lord are to be thankful people. One of the times of the year that we express our gratitude to God as a national recognized day of thanksgiving. It is a realization that while the people of this country might have a day to express thanksgiving to the Lord, God's people are to daily have a genuine thanksgiving to God. That's why one of the hymns that we usually sing around the time of thanksgiving is the hymn that says, Come ye thankful people, come. God's people are to be thankful people. Graciously granted gifts by God to which they acknowledge His favor and express their appreciation. The second thing that we see in this uh, declaration in verses 7 through 9, is that we are to be individuals who manifest Christ-likeness. Now Solomon says it by stating that God has already approved our works. He has stated it by saying, let your clothes be white at all times. And we know that the garments worn by an individual are really a reflection of something about their character and their conduct. And the idea of white clothes and that uh, context had to do with a time of celebration, had to do with a picture of purity, and we see the culmination of this idea of clothed in white in the book of Revelation, where it says the church has made herself ready for the great marriage feast of the Lamb, and it has been given to her to be clothed in fine white linen, which are the righteous acts of the saints. God's people will increasingly be characterized by Christ-likeness. So in verses 7 through 9, which by the way is the final time that Solomon expresses this refrain throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, reminding us that God's people are to be a humble, thankful people. God's people are to be individuals that are characterized by a righteous lifestyle. God's people are to be characterized by joy and cheer. Enjoy life, verse 9. Eat your bread in happiness. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Now, the reality is that God's people are to be individuals who joyfully enjoy God's blessings regardless of the circumstances. May I make the comparison to what we find in the New Testament by the writings of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, where the book of Philippians speaks about Christian living in this world. And the theme that comes through in the book of Philippians is that God's people are to be characterized by joy as they live their lives in this world. doesn't mean that things are always pleasant. In fact, Paul speaks of it of himself in chapter 1. He says he's in prison for the cause of the gospel. And others are either now preaching Christ because they think it'll cause me hurt since I can't do it, 
or some recognizing that I'm limited in how I can fulfill my obligation, they are individuals who are preaching Christ because of their love for me. And instead of Paul being bitter, instead of Paul thinking, Lord, why aren't you giving me the opportunities? Paul says, in all these things, I will rejoice because Christ is preached. Or in chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul commands all of God's people, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He speaks of the fact that he has learned to be content in whatever circumstance he has found. Whether he is deprived of some of his physical needs or he has more than abundance. Because Paul had learned, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's people are to be a people who express joy and cheerfulness even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. In other words, God's people joyfully appreciate their Lord, His guidance, direction in their life, and the provisions that He gives to them regardless of their circumstances. Paul and Silas found in the Philippian jail, in the dungeon, at midnight, instead of moaning and groaning about their circumstances, had a worship service and sang praises to God. You and I, as Christian people, are to be characterized by the ability to be cheerful and enjoy the blessings God gives regardless of of the circumstances. And flowing out of verses 7 through 9 is where we take up this idea and it is a recognition that God's people are to be characterized by a wholehearted, enthusiastic devotion to the things that God places before them. Whatever your hand finds to do, verily, or it's a word which means Think about this. Pay attention to this. This is what I want you to understand. Whatever you do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning in Sheol where you are going. In other words, God's people need to apply themselves to the endeavors that are before them. Whatever God provides them in the way of an opportunity to do, They aren't to do it grudgingly. They're not to do it half-heartedly. They are to pour themselves into it. He says here, with all your might. In other words, they are to be individuals who are characterized by a wholehearted, enthusiastically fulfillment of the task, the endeavor, the opportunity that is before them. If we think about the different activities that could be included in here. You know, it starts with you thinking about our daily labor, the work that we have to do, whether it's our gainful employment, if we've retired and we still have activities we're responsible to fulfill, chores around the house, whatever they may be. The realization is that whatever my hand finds to do, I'm to do it with all of my might. I am to apply my energies to the completion of the task. To me, it's a sad indictment on the state of the Christian community today. 
When I hear an employer say I'd rather hire anybody than a Christian because they don't really give me an honest day's work. God's people in the circumstances that are before them are to enthusiastically, wholeheartedly apply themselves to the task that is before them. To do the best that we can do. I have the example of a young man by the name of Daniel. Obviously, Daniel wasn't where he wanted to be when he found himself in Babylon. It wasn't what he had planned as a young boy growing up and saying, when I'm a man, this is what I want to do and what I want to be. Circumstances had occurred. Daniel was in Babylon under the rule of a tyrant by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel exceeded in the training that he went through, succeeded in the way he with integrity fulfilled his responsibility in that Babylonian court. An example for us, whatever our hand finds to do, do it with all your might. How about when it comes to schoolwork? You know, we think of assignments we have, homework that needs to be done. It's not enough to just say, well, i got to get this assignment done. In fact, if we find the New Testament admonition, it's a recognition that I'm not doing it to please men, to fulfill a requirement by men, but it's a service to Christ. And when I do my schoolwork, I engage myself in my studies, I'm to enthusiastically apply myself to the completion of those tasks as an offering to Christ. Our relationships with family, with friends, with neighbors. Somehow we have the misguided perception that these relationships just happen. We don't give ourselves to their development to be sure that they become beneficial and increase. And so when it comes to our homes, to our spouse, to our children, to our parents, to our friends, to our neighbors, I ought to be wholeheartedly committed to making those relationships good and to make them work. Or we could go into the area of hobbies. We can go into the area of sports, into the area of art, into the area of music. The same is true. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. I'm reminded of the statement made by uh, Bach at the end of every one of his compositions. He would sign it with S-D-G, the letters for the words Sola Dea Gloria. Bach's desire was that his composition would bring God glory. That's what motivated him in what he did. When it comes to the area of ministry, we find the admonition in the New Testament given to us by uh, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 that we are to wholeheartedly look at the opportunities God gives us to minister and do it for the glory of Christ with all of our energies. When it comes to serving others, Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, Do good to all men, and especially those who are of the household of faith. God's people are to willingly give of themselves for the benefit of others. 
to think of their needs as more important than their own. That's the moment that you have. Make that moment count. And be sure that you enthusiastically, wholeheartedly, give of yourself in that moment for the glory of God and the benefit of others. If you're doing it because, oh, i got to get it done. How wearisome it is. What a toil I have to fulfill. God says, don't bother doing it. I'm a great God. And I will receive glory. When Paul spoke about individuals contributing to the ministry, financially giving to the work of God, he says, don't do it under compulsion. Don't do it grudgingly. You know why? Because what God loves is a cheerful giver. An individual who finds joy and delight in what he's doing. In fact, the, he, the Greek word translated cheerful is the word which means hilarious. There is a great hilarity that God's people find in their service to the Lord. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Why? Because there's no activity or planning or wisdom in shield in the grave to where you're going. Now, he's not saying people don't think. He's not saying people aren't animated. We know that after death, all individuals continue to exist either in the presence of God or under His judgment. But as far as being able to do something in this world, to having an impact in the lives of others in this world, as far as strategy and planning to how I can best utilize the opportunities before me. It happens in this world. And once I pass through death, I no longer have any part in what's going on in this world. What you have is this brief period of time, this moment. I need to make this moment count. Moore, in his commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes, said, Why gripe and moan your life away, pursuing vanity and strife at any turn? Appreciate God's gifts. Life is short, and the grave awaits us all. And God's people recognizing this truth are individuals who humbly depend upon the Lord, Thanking him with gratitude for what he's given. Who find joy in spite of the circumstances. Knowing that God is working all things together for their good. As they seek to walk in the righteousness of Christ. And as they do so. Look for the opportunities to bring God glory. As they give themselves fully to the circumstance before them because they recognize that once the hour of death strikes there is no longer any opportunity for an individual in this world with that in mind Solomon also stated here's another observation I have made verse 11 you'll notice he says I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battles not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, for favor uh, or favor to men of ability, for time and chance overtake them all. 
Solomon made this observation. In other words, he says, human ability. It's not the person that can run the fastest that necessarily wins the race. It's not necessarily the greatest of armies that wins the battle. It's not necessarily the man that's got the best business model and plan that has success. It's not the individual who knows how to really discern what needs to be done in this life that necessarily always has success. For he says, time and chance overtake them all. In other words, human ability is not the guarantee of success. There are other factors at work. Life is unpredictable. How often you find individuals that say, when opportunity knocks, take advantage of it. It may not come and knock again. You have to seize that moment because that's the moment that's the most appropriate. And that's what Solomon is recognizing here. That it isn't always because the individual has had the ability that guarantees the success. There are other factors at work. Now, this is not a discouragement for one applying him, himself or herself to the task. Solomon has already stated, whatever your hand finds to do, how should you do it? With all of your might. But what Solomon is doing is not discouraging effort, but encouraging effort. Just because someone's faster than you, stronger than you, wiser than you, has more ability than you, doesn't mean you shouldn't give it your best. Because there's no guarantee of the outcome. It's often the underdog in sports that comes away with the upset and the win. Now how about if before the game, the sporting activity began, the individual says, well, what's the use? This team is a better team than us. Or this individual is a better opponent. No sense playing the game. The recognition is success is not always to the most capable. So you and I are encouraged to give it our best. For the other factors that are at work are what Solomon says here. For time and chance overtake them all. Now sadly, this word translated chance into English it has a far different meaning in the Hebrew text than you and I think of. Solomon isn't saying, well, you know, we just roll the dice and we never know what's going to come out. No, this is a word which really has to do with an occurrence or an event. And if you have the opportunity to go back to another occasion in which it's used in the Old Testament, you can turn back to 1 Kings. And in chapter 5, verse 4, there it's translated as misfortune. And really the idea of time and misfortune or time and an occurrence is really a Hebrew figure of speech. And in that figure of speech, what he's really saying is, is the fact that you and I, as we have the opportunity before us, don't know the outcome. Don't know what will take place in the next moment. There might be circumstances beyond our control that really determine the outcome of what's being done. There can be 
a providential event taking place that wasn't expected that changes the outcome and the course. So, you and I need to recognize we apply ourselves with all of our ability, doing it as a service for the Lord, with an understanding that it isn't the amount of our ability, it isn't whether or not we're better than the opponent or the situation that's before us that really brings about the outcome. And so we apply ourselves wholeheartedly to the task that is before us. And the reason it's so important in verse 12, moreover, let me add this, in addition, man does not know his time like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Man does not know his time. Now there's two important things for us to recognize in this. The first would be not any one of us knows the time of our death. Now, it isn't just a chance occurrence as to when our death will take place. David in the Psalms, particularly in Psalm 139, when he spoke about the fact that God uniquely had formed and fashioned him in his mother's womb, stated in Psalm 139, in your book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me before there was ever one of them. Back in chapter 3, Solomon had said, God has appointed appropriately every event to take place under heaven. And in that statement, he said that God has appointed the appropriate time to be born. And God has appropriated the appointed time to die. The recognition is your days are according to God's decree and design. But you don't know the hour of your death. You don't know when that time is appointed. The reality is we find people die unexpectedly. Or other individuals that are given the medical diagnosis they could go at any moment, seem to live on long beyond when medically they were declared they didn't have much time to live. The whole point is, guess what you know of this moment? What I can be sure of is this short space of time, this instant, this present or brief space of time. Because every moment is a paradox between now or never. And what I need to do is make this moment count. Man doesn't know his time. But you'll notice he not only speaks about the time of death, what Solomon is really emphasizing here is that not any one of us knows what may take place in the next moment. He says man doesn't know his time. In other words, what may happen to him? in the events that will unfold in the next moment. So he uses the analogy, like fish caught in a treacherous net, 
or birds trapped in a snare. It's a recognition. The fish that day wasn't planning on being caught and becoming dinner for someone that evening. The bird out enjoying the day, singing its chirping to God, all of a sudden is caught in the trap. Life is over. The events are unexpected. And so it is for us as individuals. The reality is we can get blindsided. We can be overtaken unexpectedly in misfortune. Individuals feel great. They go to the doctor and they find they have some incurable disease that's been eating away and festering away within their bodies. On their way to a special occasion, car accident, they're no longer part of this world. The recognition is there are unexpected events that can take place at any moment. We can be blindsided. Now that's not to put you into phobias about what may happen to you. It's another recognition that I need to have a God-centered outlook on life. He needs to be the foundation for my daily existence. Because unexpected misfortune may hit us when all things are going well. That's why in the Psalms, David said, here's some advice I give to the godly. Let everyone who is godly pray to you, O Lord, in a time when you may be found. For when the flood comes, it will not overwhelm them. We recognize that life is full of unexpected circumstances that can blow us away. What we had planned to do, we're no longer able to do because now we have to deal with different and other issues. And so we recognize that the sons of men can be ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. We have no guarantees for what will happen in the next moment. What we need to realize is that the present moment is all that we have. And because of that, we need to use our precious moments to live life fully. Every single second of every day. Just thinking of some of the instruction that God gives us out of His Word for how we're to live our lives in the way that is for our best good and for His glory. Solomon in the book of Proverbs says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I need to be sure that I am thinking and emotionally feeling the way that it is appropriate. Because when I am letting up on my guard, then I find I either say things or do things that I regret. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says it like this, See that no root of bitterness spring up within you, and many become defiled. When somebody does something to me and it hurts me, it bothers me, I can become bitter, resentful, things didn't work out the way I expected, well then I'm not gratefully, humbly receiving 
what God has apportioned for me and enjoying the blessings that he gives each day. Tells me in the book of Proverbs not to let the sun go down on my anger. I need to get things right instead of letting it fester. In fact, when I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great chapter on love, we find there that it says, Love does not take into an account a wrong suffered. And if I'm somebody that's harboring something within, and letting it destroy the moment that is before me, I still am needing to pursue what is most beneficial of all, love. Because love covers a multitude of sins. When you go to bed at night, you don't know that you'll get up the next morning. So when you say goodnight, kiss your spouse, kiss your children, kiss your parents goodnight. Make the most of the moment. When you say goodbye to the loved one, be sure you tell them, I love you. How important that that's the words that they'll remember in their mind if there's never another moment that you have with them. Even the secularists recognize how important it is to make the moments count. Have you hugged your kids today? That important relationship between parents and children, the bond that God has designed. One has said, if it's a happy moment, praise God. If it's a difficult moment, seek God. In those quiet moments, worship God. In painful moments, trust God. But in every moment, Thank God. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. We know God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Who you are, what you have and what is happening to you has all taken place because of the sovereign good pleasure of the Lord. What are you doing with this moment? This moment, which is all that you know you have. What I need to recognize is that tomorrow is a mystery. Yesterday is history. Today is God's moment. Today is God's gift. What is it you're going to do with it? In the end, what we really remember are the moments. 
dear brother and sister in Christ, let's make the moments count for our own good, for the benefit of others, and ultimately for the glory of God. Let's pray.